friends. Welcome to the podcast again. I am Daniel Day, your host, and I have the privilege of being joined with the president of Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. His name is Dr. Kent Engel. Brother Engel, thank you for joining me again. Oh, it's a privilege to be with you. Always enjoy having a conversation. Yes, sir. As always, would you please open us up with a quick word of prayer before we get started? Father, we're grateful for the privilege to serve you, to know you, to experience the calling that you placed upon our lives. We're grateful that, uh, Lord, we can rub shoulders with each other to encourage, to challenge, to uh, lift each other up in, in that calling that you placed upon us. And God, we're looking forward to this conversation today uh, about challenges that we face and the roles that we serve. I pray that God, you'll give the Holy Spirit guidance to this conversation, enlighten our hearts, our minds so that we can better serve, better be, uh, be better equipped for what uh, is ahead. And we thank you for your presence, for your spirit, and for your guidance today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Dr. Engel, for opening us up in prayer. Friends, the topic of our discussion today is this, the Equality Act and its potential impact on Christian education and the church world at large. Dr. Engel, first of all, thank you for coming on to the program and visiting with us for a few moments on this very important subject. Uh, this is legislation that I, I think many of our listeners may have heard about, but they don't really know all of the details about. And I know that more and more details um, are emerging as the days go on. Uh, but help us just to lay a foundation. What is the Equality Act. Yeah. Well, first of all, I will tell you this Equality Act has already been passed by the House of Representatives in Congress, and it is now at the doorstep of the Senate, awaiting for them to pick it up and uh, for consideration. And of course, the current makeup, it uh, could be uh, could be easily passed if uh, if the Senate gets a 51 percent. Well, I guess they would have to have 60 votes to pass this. Uh, and I, you know, so, so it's definitely something that's underway right now that we need to be very familiar with, but the Equality Act basically would, um, prohibit discrimination, um, based on sex, sexual orientation, uh, gender identities in areas, including public, um, accommodations, uh, facilities, education, uh, has, uh, prohibit, uh, all of that when it comes to federal funding, employment, housing, credits and the jury system. Uh, the Equality Act actually goes um, as far as it, it, it removes or it amends the Religious Freedom Restoration Act by explicitly preventing religious organizations, so a faith-based university, churches, um, any religious uh, organization from operating in accordance with their religious beliefs in regard to areas like uh, human sexuality. Uh, the, the, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act was passed in 1993, and actually it was Chuck Schumer, who is the majority leader in the Senate, that actually introduced this, uh, uh, the, the uh, Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which was passed. But what it does is um, this freedom, uh, this Restoration Act prohibits any agency, any department, any official of the United States or any state uh, the government from substantially burdening is the language they use a person's exercise of religion, even if the burden results 
from a rule of general um, uh, uh, application. Uh, in other words, this act, what it would do, because they re completely remove it, this act would force religious organizations uh, to compromise on their biblical conviction, their biblical beliefs in order to stay operational. So it would have a dramatic effect on um, on uh, on higher ed, uh, faith-based higher ed. It would virtually shut down a university like Southeastern University. We would not be able to to uh, operate based upon our core beliefs of what we believe marriage is between a man and a woman. Um, and the fact that we would not have that value uh, would would cause us to lose federal funding. So it could literally shut us down. What specific uh, two or three examples, uh, just pretend you're talking to a 10-year-old for a minute, uh, what might be some day-to-day -day application, uh, things that this legislation would force churches, force Christian educational institutions or any religious institution, what would it force them to do? Well, since it, again, it would amend the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, it would force churches, it would force um, religious entities, you know, religious universities to hire, for example, practicing LGBTQ individuals. It would force uh, schools like ours to place transgendered students in dorms in, in, in bathrooms based on their self identified gender identity and a host of other things that go against what many religious institutions believe about human sexuality. So we would have to have transgender dorms on our campus if right. we would continue to receive federal funding. That That is a direct result of if if the Equality Act would, would pass. I think the alternative, of course, um, what, what hurts us is in most Christian universities, we are, we are um, enrollment-driven universities, so uh, probably 90% of our students will receive federal aid, federal funding um, uh, to, to help. It would, uh, it would, uh, re it would, that would go away if we wouldn't provide and follow these guidelines of the Equality Act. It would also restrict um, school choice. For example, um, uh, SEU is a part of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities, also known as the CCCU. 70% of students, again, who receive federal funding in, in all of our CCCU schools, this act would take away much-needed funding for these students, which would greatly impact low-income. It would impact first-generation students. Um, but it literally, we would not be able to keep the doors open because we don't have the kinds of endowments that you know, major universities have to fund their, you know, educational journeys. Right. It would impact sports. We see a lot in the news uh, recently. Uh, I think just recently there was a transgender that just qualified for the Olympics. Right. And uh, there's a lot of upheaval. There's a lot of female athletes that are not happy about this. So it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be a Christian that is negatively impacted by this legislation. It's not just Christian people or Christian organizations, but just people who want to think logically and scientifically. Uh, this legislation flies in the face of so many different things, 
As an example, I can't walk into a movie theater and self-identify as a senior citizen and get the senior citizens discount. Correct. You know, I can't walk into SeaWorld and self-identify as a dolphin and jump into the pool with the dolphins. Um, but yet this particular area is something that people are now allowed to uh, blur the lines of science and self-identify as something that scientifically they are not. And it's impacting not just Christian universities or Christian organizations or Christian people, but even in the secular sports world, we have a lot of people that are in great disagreement with this legislation, aren't we? Right. Oh, absolutely. No, it's it's not just uh, religious um you know, organizations that, that would, would be, you know, against this, but it's, I mean, when you look at uh, allowing a transgender to a male who now identifies as a female to compete in female athletics, you talk about an unfair advantage. Um, and, and that has nothing to do with your faith or, or Christian values. So yeah, there, there are a lot of, a lot of uh, organizations and individuals across the board that would be opposed to this kind of um, legislation that uh, basically ignores biological, um, uh, you know, value to who, to a person is. And you, I mean, you're speaking about this the sports world you have some authority in that you have some history professionally in you know the sports world in that in that sphere um and i just you know would you just take a moment and elaborate down that line just a little bit because i don't think everyone really grasps the broad implications of what they're saying on a legislative level um and how that might impact sports, but it might impact um, other areas as well. Uh, can you just talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, well, when you, when you, when you look at uh, athletics and you look at competition, um, you have to look at how, how are, are people biologically made, made up? And, 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 and there is an absolute difference in, in the way that uh, a male is designed from a female design. And that would include the physicality, the, you know, uh, all of those issues, especially as it relates to competition. Um, and, and now uh, what happens is all sports basically would become kind of a co-ed competition, if you will, if, if male athletes who, who want to identify as women because they may have a greater advantage in competition could do so, and they could enter a win, and they're going to be superior in terms of their physicality, their strength, because of, again, the genetic makeup of a male versus a female. And it would basically cause women sports to suffer. All sorts of studies point to this issue and agree that co-ed sports would would uh, screw up the competition uh, against the women who are actually competing. No longer would they be able to have fair access to actually winning their particular sport. Yes. And that's just simply unfair. We have a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of terminology out there, fairness, equality, and so on and so forth. But really, the term Equality Act is really a misnomer, isn't it? It's uh it's an oxymoron. It's, right. it's it's the opposite of equality. Yeah, absolutely. I, however, I, I, I'm going to tell you right now what's so wonderful is is your. your the, I think a silver lining that I'm starting to see in the midst of this is especially mm -hmm. the recent um, rulings of the Supreme Court in favor of religious freedom. 
We saw that even last Thursday when the United States Supreme Court unanimously, which I thought was a a, a wonderful message, um, you know, the Supreme Court unanimously uh, unanimously sided with the Catholic foster care agency that refused to work with same-sex couples, which is, again, part of this Holy Quality Act uh, equation. But the court said that the city's... Um, uh, actions burdened the religious organization that they would not be able to operate um, uh, uh, consistent with their beliefs, and and it actually violated their First Amendment right. And so, although we face the uncertainty of this horrific legislation of whether or not the Equality Act will pass in Congress, it's reassuring to know that we have a Supreme Court right now that has been, um, I think, consistently safeguarding our religious freedoms. And that is great to uh, see that in action, providing that kind of protection. Absolutely. What I'd like to ask you is, and if if you're not able to answer this for for whatever reason, I understand, but I want to ask anyway, um, is there anything that the Christian educational world, schools like SEU and others, what are you doing right now to prepare for the potential fight that's ahead of you? Well, I, I can tell you right now, we are aggressively working with um, our elected representatives to share our stories of the value of Christian higher education. We need our legislatures to understand the unique, the the faith-based mission that we have as a Christ-centered university. We are we are also reaching out to our senators to share how the act will impact our students, how they will impact our institutions. Uh, I mean, we're we're almost on a daily basis having these kinds of conversations. We you know we have no desire to discriminate. We simply wish to build a community that is based around our common understanding and beliefs about what the scriptures teach us is right and wrong, and what the scriptures teach us about absolute truth. No one has to join our community, and we don't exclude anybody who wants to be in a faith-based community. However, we expect everyone who does choose to want to be a part of our community to live, you know, to live in accordance with the standards that define us, our, our convictions. I've always said if we can we can have people, uh, you know, in the within the earshot of the good news of the gospel, have a chance to have Jesus Christ and have the Holy Spirit begin to touch people's lives. You can see transformation and change, and and I can tell you, uh, you know, we have we have students, you know, even though we require a faith statement before they come and, and are, are accepted into our university. A lot of people are maybe are not truthful on those faith statements. And there are a lot of people that may come into this university that may not have the faith-based convictions that that we we live, but I can tell you they're changed and transformed. And I've I've heard testimony and testimony. And we just want that ability to be able to, you know, say, hey, if you want to have an environment where you can integrate your faith and learning and life, we need to safeguard that environment, not take it away, not destroy it. So that's why we are every single day doing everything we can to to reach out to those who will make these critical decisions in in not only in the in the federal but but a lot of states are even considering um, you know right now thank goodness we live in a in a state that has uh, you know conservative leadership that understands how important um, 
you know, our religious faith is and our convictions to that. And that's, that's good, but we still need to be vigilant and, and, and make sure that we are doing everything we can to communicate to them the issues, the challenges, and what that will do to us if they make that decision to pass it. Wonderful answer. How can we as Christians get involved? How can we be a part and how can we support you? Well, I think uh, join what we're doing. Connect with you know. I'd, I'd encourage all Christians to connect with local Christian organizations, your 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 churches, your schools, or any Christian nonprofit you frequent or you volunteer with, and and ask them what are they doing and how can I join them in that fight. Um, you know, and and if you have a student at a Christian university in in your in your church or or you know that you know you know tell their story to everyone that you meet. Our most powerful weapon is our testimony, is our testimony, and and then how the Holy Spirit can can anoint that testimony and can can have that have a, a tremendous impact. Our legislatures they they need to hear from Christ followers. And so often I find Christ followers don't, they don't engage. They're not um, civically connected. Uh, and no, it, in my opinion, it is a responsibility as a follower of Christ to be connected to our community, connected to what's going on, connected to our legislatures, doing everything we can to safeguard what we believe is right, what is truthful. And, and so that's what I would do. I would encourage every, every Christian to do everything they can to get civically engaged, to connect, to have their voice heard, to tell their stories, and, and plug in to what's going on in their communities and in their states and in this nation. So for the uninitiated who might be listening, how can they, get in, how can they reach out to their senator, their, their congressperson, their local and state officials? What's the best way to do that? How can they get a hold of them? Well, you can go, you can get, there's a lot of directories you can go to uh, on the state, on the federal, and you can look up who are your representatives in your districts. Um, contact your, your representatives, contact your senators, tell them specifically, especially as it relates to the Equality Act, how that can be detrimental to their religious organization. You can contact them by calling their offices. You can write letters. You can send them emails. Be sure to contact all of them from both parties. Don't just lean on, on just your persuasion or your, um, you know, all parties. And all of these emails, by the way, are, are public information. You have the right to email them with your issues and your representatives are, are really designed to represent you. So the more they hear from you, the chances are their their vote will be swayed when it comes to this legislation. So that's what I would encourage you. Make sure you know who your representatives are on the local, state, and federal. And you can, again, go to those websites, um, and, and they're clearly there with names, addresses, even phone numbers. But I would do all of the above. I mean, make calls, make you know, write letters, do everything you can to let them know where you stand on the issue and how it affects your community. In your experience, has there been a most effective uh, method of communication? Is it better to send a letter, better to send a fax? I know you just said do all of the above, but um, you know perhaps there's there's a, 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 a like making a phone call. Um, is there a type of communication that gets lost in the in the fray? And you know, like if you for sure send a fax, this is going to get through, or if you for sure send a letter, that's going to be heard. Like, what's the best way to get your 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 message across to your representative? 
Well, I can, I can tell you absolutely all are effective. And having done this for several years as a, as a president and, and in the role that I've served, I can tell you they're all effective. They have people that um, are dedicated to each, uh, each medium, if you will, of communication, emails, answering phone calls. So no, none of that is ever lost. And, and again, the more variety you use, you know, there's more impact. There's there's definitely more impact. The other thing is create a, a campaign, if you will. I think it would be great. You know, um, our our pastors, our church leaders need to emphasize this in their communities and say, let's join together in a unified effort. And the more, uh, especially when you're in your local community and you reach out to your local congressman or congresswoman, whatever. And, and I'm telling you, it has an impact. The more voices that are consolidated together, especially as it relates to a community, they're going to listen to you. It's going to make a difference. It'll have an impact. So right. I know that my son has been involved. He's, he's worked with several legislative offices and and uh, I, I'm telling you, all levels of communication get through to these representatives. That's so good. And I really appreciate the fact that you point out uh, that it's important for us to send these communications to both major parties. Yes. I think that is something that I have not personally thought of. Um, I always just think in terms of, of sending a letter to my personal representative, to somebody that I voted for or something like that in those terms. But it is, it is really, really solid advice to, to say, send it to all parties, send your communication to everyone and something that I heard recently, and that is a reawareness of local communities that even local public school systems, local school boards, I think sometimes people forget those are elected yes. positions. Those are elected positions. We as believers need to be not just voting for the big elections like a president, but we need to be involved in every possible election that we can vote in and exercise that right. Can you just weigh in on that for a moment? Well, uh, there's a book that uh, when I when I started out, I actually uh, in my collegiate re uh, career started out uh, as a political science major, and and one of the books that I read that I loved it was actually written by a Democrat, uh, Tip O'Neill, who went on to be the Speaker of the House, um, and he was Speaker of the House when Ronald Reagan was was president. But he wrote a book. He said, "All politics are local." That's why it's so important to connect with the politicians in your local community, because I can tell you the state representatives, the federally elected representatives, they look to local voices in communities to to gauge what what's the voice in that local community. Well, it starts if you're you're impacting your your city councils, you know, your mayor, um, your commissioners your school board, all of that is extremely important. And if your voice starts on the local level, I guarantee you that voice is going to, to expand uh, even to a national. Most pastors, don't, most pastors don't realize this, but pastors have um, significant influence on elected officials. And that's why I believe every pastor should reach out to, to their offices, uh, invite them to lunch, invite them to coffee. Um, elected representatives love meeting with community leaders, especially local leaders. Uh, and, and, and really, local leaders look to pastors as a significant voice 
in communities because they represent faith. And faith, believe it or not, is still a strong value in our nation, in our in our communities. And, and I can say this, pastors, you have a strong influence on your elected leaders, and you need to take advantage of that influence and, and share. Invite them to connect to... Um, to your services at times. There are appropriate opportunities for them to come and be a part of that. You you know, especially when it, you know, I know you recently had a prayer campaign. I mean, what a great opportunity to invite your local communities and say, you know what, we just want to pray for you. We know that you have a difficult job. You have to, you know, make difficult decisions, enact difficult legislation. Um, we want to pray for you. That has a huge impact. I, I know pastoring in Thousand Oaks, California, when I pastored there, we did that all the time. We invited local community leaders to come, and we actually prayed for them, had opportunity for them to share uh, the issues, the challenges that are going on in the community so that they knew we were engaged, that we were a part of the community. So it's always important. And let me tell you again, when you rub shoulders with them as a follower of Jesus— and the Holy Spirit inside you, my goodness, uh, you never know how conversations will go in a way that you can have tremendous light, tremendous salt, tremendous influence in 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 reaching out to them. Uh, so good. Thank you for that. And I'm personally taking all of this to heart as I am a lead pastor. And so what I would like to just ask this follow-up question, I know it's not on our pre pre-planned list here, but I think it would be interesting to hear your, your take. Um, I know that uh, it's technically uh, wrong of us to publicly endorse candidates from the pulpit, um, I, for lack of a better term. Inappropriate might be a better term. I don't know. But, but pastors, by and large, do not endorse candidates from their pulpits based on uh, tax-exempt laws and so on and sure. so forth. However, I think, and I want you to weigh on weigh in on this because maybe you can help me understand it better. We can talk about policies. We can talk about uh, legislation. Like, for example, if I wanted to, I could do a whole sermon on why the Equality Act is not good. It's not Absolutely. endorsing or not endorsing a any politician or any party, it's just, here's a legislation that's, that's on the docket, and here's why it's wrong, and here's why we as a church need to call all of our representatives. That's okay, right? Yeah, no, I, you know, I agree. We, should, we shouldn't endorse particular candidates, but we can endorse positions. We can talk about issues. We can talk about you know, platforms and, and, and those kinds. Our society works best when... When I think we engage and we argue policy, not personalities. And again, I think that's important that we, uh, uh, you know, proclaim truth in our understanding from a biblical conviction as it weighs to the issues. And what I find so often in elections, people focus on personalities. They don't focus on policy. They don't focus on the issues. You know, and then it surprises me. Well, I didn't know, you know, that this would happen under this administration. You know, when you look at when you look at abortion and the funding of abortion, the scripture is very clear about that issue. But yet we ignore that. We don't talk about that. 
No, I think that's an issue. It is a biblical issue that we must talk about and focus on. So I've always agreed that we should reach all people with our message, and we as Christians need to be the one who I believe can bridge the can can be the one to bridge the political aisle, if you will, and have conversations and you know voice on on the issues and and the sides, pro and con, and all those kinds of things. I think that's important. So no, I I've always believed in and actually again as a pastor we did that. We had you know when it came time for elections, we actually would have you know, um, uh, sessions or small groups that focused on the issues of the day. And what does the Bible say? What does the Bible speak about those issues and right. challenges so that it could well inform our decision-making when we go into that voting booth? Absolutely. And I I think that that these are questions that our congregations are asking. Yes. If they're not asking those questions in church, where are they asking those questions and who is informing them who's giving them the answers and so it's just like i tell youth pastors and anyone involved in under uh, in minor ministry you know people who are under the age of 18 they're asking all kinds of big questions and if we as the church are not bold enough to go there and talk about it um then who are they asking and who's informing right. them and so we need to be uh talking about these issues and we do not get in any kind of trouble uh, just talking about issues or policies or legislation, because it's not an endorsement of any political candidate or anything like that. We can speak God's truth to American power. We can speak right. God's truth to power, and uh, we must. We must. And so I want to give you the final word, Dr. Engel. What encourages you right now? What gives you hope? And uh, just just end us on a positive note here. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 1, 7. Um, scripture tells us God did not give us a spirit of timidity, and, 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 but a spirit of power, spirit of love and self-discipline. God didn't, you know, give you a spirit to run for the hills when you face opposition or, or distraction. God gave you a spirit of power and, and love, and you can stay strong and you can stay put because my goodness, God does not, God wants to use you in a way to be a voice, to represent him in a world that's hurting, in a world that's lost. And, and, and another thing that I think is so wonderful that we can be encouraged about is, is Philippians chapter four, verses six through seven. Don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry about it. But in every situation, what do we need to do? Prayer, petition, with thanksgiving, present our request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all of our understanding, will guard our hearts and, and our minds in Christ Jesus so we can be encouraged. My goodness, we, we have, every day is a new day to live who we are as a follower of Jesus and to be a, a witness, to be influenced, to be salt, to be light. So take up that challenge and have a tremendous impact in, in how God will use you. Amen. I can't think of a better note to end on. Uh, Dr. Engel, please end us the way we began with prayer. Yeah. Father, we are so grateful for, again, the privilege to serve you. 
And God, you've raised each, each and every one of us up. You've gifted us. You've called us to use us, to be solutions, to issues, to challenges, to, to things in this world, God, that just need the hope of Jesus. I pray that you will continue to, to reinforce that calling on all of our lives, that we will every single day simply trust in you, lean on you, not our own understanding, but acknowledge you. And we know when we do that, you will direct us, you will guide us, you will use our gifts, you will use our talents, you will use our voices to have a tremendous impact in this world. And it will all be to your glory and to your honor as we build the kingdom of God, as we bring people to you in relationship. So I pray that you continue to raise us up and we come against the enemy who wants to rob and kill and destroy. And he has no authority. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in this world. And so we know who we are as children of God. And I pray that you will empower us, embolden us, and that we will walk with faith and we will walk with courage and we will walk with trust. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen. Friends, we have been with Dr. Kent Engel. He is the president of Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida. We've been talking about the Equality Act and its potential impact on Christian higher education and other organizations and uh, different impacts of this legislation if it were to become law in this land. If you missed any of it, or if you're just hopping onto this conversation at the end, uh, just wait a moment. You'll be able to go back and rewatch this. I encourage all of you to do so. Be informed, get involved, always pray, and always have hope. That is our message today. And uh, Dr. Engel, I just wanna say thank you again for joining us. Well, Daniel, always a privilege and always look forward to these conversations.